Hello, so today we'll be talking about the Ottoman Empire, the Safavid Empire, and the Mughal Empire. First, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, the first Ottomans were Turkish soldiers who were known as Ghazis. Um, this translates to warriors. They came to Anatolia, um, which is present-day Turkey, with other Turks um, to escape the Mongols. In the late 1200s, um, there was a Ghazi leader named Osman, who had great success fighting against the Byzantines, and his tribe members were known as the Ottomans. In the 1300s, he took, he took over much of Asia Minor, and uh, when they went to Europe, um, he, f he led his men, but they failed at capturing Constantinople. But in 1361, they did capture Adrianopolis, which was the second most important Byzantine city. Um, when Constantinople did become their capital, they renamed it Edirne. So the elite Ottoman armies, they're an important part of society. Janissaries is the name of the highly trained troop of slave soldiers, which are created by the Sultan. They're made up of young war captives and Christian slaves taken from Europe. Um, they were schooled in Islamic law and then converted to Islam, and then after that they were first trained as soldiers. So the first step was always to convert them to the Islamic religion. Um, they, they were basically considered as property to the sultan, and they would serve for life. Um, eventually, in like a century or longer, they would rise to power and importance and become an important political group in the Ottoman Empire. Um... But at a certain point, um, Timur would challenge the Ottomans. Timur was the Turco-Mongol leader, and he was born in 1336 in Uzbekistan, and he claimed to, he claimed to be descended from Genghis Khan. He created, created an army and built up power in Central Asia, and he started his career of conquest. Um, in 1402, he invaded Anatolia, where the Ottoman were, and he defeated them at the bank of Ankara, and he captured the sultan. Um, he didn't uh, destroy them, though. He just made them return land taken from Ghazi rulers. Uh, recovery and expansion. So this, uh, Timur was kind of a blow to the Ottomans, but they did recover. So, so crisis broke out in the Ottoman Empire after Timur had, had his victory over them. Um, and then a civil war broke out over who would be the next sultan. Uh, the result of this conflict was that Murad II took power and he started a new period of expansion. Mehmed II was the next very important ruler. Um, he conquered Constantinople in 1453, which uh, the Ottomans did have earlier but then lost, and he renamed it Istanbul, and it was the new became the new capital of the Ottoman Empire. The greatest Ottoman sultan, though, is named Suleiman. Um, he was known as the Magnificent in Europe, and he was known as the Lawgiver by his own people. He ruled from 1520 to 1566. Um, he rule, his rule was at the empire's height when the Ottoman Empire covered Eastern Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa. He also was part of expanding the empire even further and also conquering Hungary in 1526 and almost conquering Vienna. Okay, um, Ottoman government and society. So sultans were considered the supreme rulers in society. And uh, the grand viziers were those in the second position. Um, the rest of society, okay, so society was divided into two big groups, and uh, the sultans and grand vizier 
made up the first group, which was a small ruling class. And then the second group were the masses of ordinary subjects, also referred to as reya, or the protected flock. Um, social mobility was possible, but it was depending on a person's ability or merit, so people could move up or down. The Europeans were very impressed by this system because a person's place was not fixed at birth, so if you were very smart or talented, you could move up in society. Uh, the millet system is also very important to talk about. So, uh, obviously, there are different groups that make up the reya, or protected flock. Um, there are Muslim Turks in the heart of the empire, which is Anatolia, but there were also Christians and Jews living in the Balkans, and also Muslim Arabs living in the Fertile Crescent and Northern Africa. So, there were a lot of uh, religious differences, which invariably led to tensions. So, the sultans allowed different groups to practice their own religions through an organization known as the millet system. Millets are separate religious communities. They are self-governing, but under the general control of the sultan. Each millet group could have their own laws and customs, as well as their own courts and taxes, and they're each responsible for their own education, health, and safety of the members. Um, so, uh, the slow decline of the Ottoman Empire begins after Suleiman, the best emperor's death in 1566. Um... So this is the start of a very slow decline of the empire. European states such as France, Spain, and Poland are becoming stronger at this time, and the Ottoman Empire and navy suffer some defeats. In 1571, Philip II of Spain leads a navy, leads a navy against them, and he defeats the Ottomans at the Battle of Lepanto, which is near Greece. In 1683, troops led by the Polish king John III Sobieski stop the Turks outside of Vienna, and so they again suffer a loss. Uh, by the 1600s, the government and economy had big problems. So the empire lost control of the silk and spice trade between Europe and Asia that it had profited from before. And Europeans also got new, developed new sea routes that toppled the trade monopoly that the Ottoman Empire had held. Um, the power of the sultan kept getting um, smaller and smaller, and the government became as the government became more corrupt. There were also internal power struggles and rebellion among the class known as the Janissaries, um, and the empire lost territory to Russia and France. Um, so the Ottoman Empire was really struggling to survive, and finally in 1923, Turkey established itself as a republic. So that's, I guess, the official end of the Ottoman Empire. Alright, moving on to the Safavid Empire. Okay, the rise of the Safavids. Um, it was an empire bound on the west by the Ottoman Empire and on the east by the Mughal Empire of India, which we'll talk about later. The Safavid Empire um, was located in present-day Iran. Uh, Safi ad-Din is the first important person. The Safavids were all considered to be descended of him. He is like the head of the family, and this is in the 1200s. Like the Persians, the Safavids are Muslim. Um... They changed from being Sunni Muslims, or uh, from being of the Sunni Islamic branch to becoming Shias, or Shiites, which are persecuted by the Sunnis. Um, in the late, and this is really important because, um, yeah, so at first they were part of the Sunni branch. In the late 1400s, the Safavids developed a military group to fight for political power, and this group was known as the Kizilbash, or Redheads. 
Um, this was the name of their army because they wore red hats. And, um, but the Persians were enemies of the Safavids, and they killed and imprisoned many of them. Uh, there was, so there was a lot of fighting when a young Kitzelbash named Esmail escaped into hiding. In the 1500s, he became the head of the Kitzelbash, and he brought, and he, um, brought all of present-day Iran and part of Iraq under his rule. He was the first important leader. Um, he was no, he became known as the Shah, which means King of Kings. In 1501, he captured Tabriz and made it the Safavid capital. Um, Esmail's religious policy is really important because as a Shah, he, procl- he proclaimed that, um, that the Safavid empire would all be of the Shia religion. They would be Shiites. Um, and this is really important because the Persians were all mostly Sunnis, yet they were forced to convert to be Shiites. Um, and this is really interesting because today, even the Iranian slash Persian government has kept Shia as the state religion from the Safavid empire so, till the present day. Um, and this gives the Persians or Iranians a unique sense of identity, different than the, one, than the people around them. Uh, for converting to Shiites, Esmail became considered as a Muslim saint for the Shiite sect. Um, so, uh, along with having a different religion than those people around them, Persian language and history also gave them a unique sense of identity. From 1500 to 1636, Safavid rulers expanded their empires, and they began to clash with the Ottomans and Uzbeks for control of key territories. So, the Safavid empires, from the beginning, it was surrounded by other great empires. Esmail, um... Esmail's support of Shia threatened both Sunni Ottomans and the Uzbek tribes that were located in the northeast. In 1514, Ottomans invaded New Persia, and they defeated the Safavids at the Battle of Khaldiran, so this was a blow to their power. Um, Esmail's son, who was known as Tasmap, carried on his father's fighting after he died. Um, by 1570, though, the Safavids lost a lot of territory to the Ottomans and the Uzbeks. Okay, um, now to talk about the next great Shah, uh, who was Shah Abbas the Great. So, Tazmap's death in 1575 made the empire really unstable, because the Kitzelbash were no longer loyal to the Shah, and um, there were also struggles against, struggles against the neighbors that were going very badly. In 1587, Abbas, or the Great, became the Shah. Um, he made a lot of military reforms. Uh, he saw the need to make the troops loyal again to him, um, so he made reforms to the army by using the Ottoman army as a model. Uh, so at first, he made troops out of foreign slaves, or, or he made um, yeah, troops of foreign slaves uh, out of prisoners of war. Um, and like the, much like the Ottoman Empire, he first converted them to Islam and then trained them for military service. In 1598, the improved armies defeated the Uzbeks and gained northeast Persia, so Abbas was quite successful in his military reforms. Um, and Abbas led the troops in order to recover all of the lost territory that was lost under Tazmap. 
So at the height of the Safavid Empire, in 1599, the capital was moved to Esfahan. This is a city located on the plateau of Iran. It became one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, it was carefully planned by Abbas. It had wide streets, huge, a huge central square, splendid mosques, many monuments, public baths, open markets, and an enormous rectangular park. Um, Esfahan became known throughout Europe and the Middle East as a political, spiritual, and commercial center of the First Order. Abbas's reign is remembered as a time of political development for various reasons. As the Shah, he encouraged manufacturing and foreign trade. He also um, encouraged carpet weaving, which then later became a major industry. Uh, Persian rugs began to spread throughout Europeans. Uh, rich Europeans' homes, and also they made a lot of rich fabric exports, such as brocade, damask, and silk, and there were also beautiful tiles and ceramics made in centers such as Esfahan. From 1629 to 1736, the rulers after Ab that came after Abbas were increasingly unskilled, and the empire ended because of this. After the empire collapsed, uh, Persia split into a number of small states, and so that's considered the end of the Safavid Empire. So next we'll discuss the Mughal Empire, which um, was located in India. So the origins of the Mughal Empire... In the 1300s, Turkish Muslims controlled India uh, at Delhi, which was the capital of the Delhi Sultanate. But by the 1500s, so 200 years later, the power of the sultans was greatly weakened. This was because there were Rajputs, or Indian warrior princes, who began to challenge the sultans. Um, so there was a lot of internal weakness of the sultanate, and this made the powerful neighbors interested. So the Mongols were kind of looking down at India and seeing that things were not going so great. So they saw an opportunity in this. So this, was, this meant for Babur, who was descended of the Mongol leader Timur, this meant he saw this and he believed that India was now open to Mongol attack. And Babur was also known as Babur the Tiger. Uh, so he tried to, to, to build an em Like I said earlier... Or no, sorry, I was talking about Timur earlier. But now a descendant of Timur, Babur, is trying to build an empire in Central Asia. But he did not succeed at doing this because he was driven out by the Uzbek people. So instead he began to focus on India. In 1526, he attacked the Sultanate of Delhi. Um, there was a major battle um, at the northern town of Paniput. Uh, Babur was very outnumbered, yet he, he managed to win. After his victory at Panipat, Babur occupied Delhi and the surrounding region, and this became the core of the Mughal Empire. So Babur's grandson, Akbar, was known as the greatest Mughal emperor. He ruled from 1556 to 1605. He gained support in various ways. He married Rajput's uh, princesses, and he gave Rajput's government positions. He also... Um, he used force to maintain power occasionally. In 1605, Akbar controlled all of the north and much of central India. There was just a couple areas in southern India where the Mughal Empire did not, um, where the influence did not reach. So he improved the tax, uh, he improved the tax system, which helped his control, and he did it in a very smart way, which was adjusting the tax based on how good the harvest was in any given year. Um, which was a very bright idea. Uh, Akbar 
was also known as a great supporter of the arts. Um, he encouraged both Hindu and Muslim artists, and he also stimulated the development of literature in both Hindu and Urdu languages. Um, he, uh, he also made sure that the Mughal Empire was making great architecture. It was in a blend of Persian, Islamic, and Hindu styles. So, religious policy. Akbar was, is considered great by historians because he was tolerant of all religions. Um, he repealed a specialized tax that non-Muslims had been paying under the Delhi Sultanate. So, it was very hard for Hindus, but he, took, he um, repealed this law. And in the late 1500s, he established a creed called the Divine Faith. Um, its motto was Allah Akbar, which means that God is great or Akbar is God. Um, so he's naming himself as God, basically. Um, and it blended elements of Islam, Hinduism, Jainism, Christianity, and others. Um, but you should note that he had few followers beyond his own court because many Muslims opposed this divine faith. Um, so the economy and trade. The economy improved greatly with Akbar's reign. Uh, European traders were very attracted to the Mughal Empire because India held an impressive amount of jewels and gold. Um, also, the climate in India allowed for a variety of crops throughout multiple harvests in the year. Uh, so things were going great economically under Akbar's rule. Um, India's cities like Agra and Delhi were filled with beautiful buildings and monuments at this time, and the cities seemed uh, bigger than the European cities. So the height of Mughal power. Um, the emperor that marks the height of the empire was Shah Jahan. He ruled from 1628 to uh, 1658, and he ruled over the greatest extent of territory. North and South India were pretty much completely encompassed by Mughal, by Mughal rule. Um, he was best known for two buildings that were built during his reign. One you will definitely know, it's the Taj Mahal. It was located at Agra. Agra, and it remains an architectural wonder until present day. It was built as a tomb for his beloved wife, Mumtaz Mahal, and it was built um, made of marble, inlaid with semi-precious gems. Um, the second building that he's known for is the Hall of Private Audience, uh, less well-known. It's located in the Red Fort at Delhi, and this was Shah Jahan's palace. Uh, it was both enormously... Both okay. Both of these buildings were enormously expensive to build, um, and in Shah Jahan's palace, there is a carving made into the wall where it said, "If there be paradise on earth, it is it is here. It is here. It is here." Uh, Mughals were constantly the Mughal, Mughal Empire was constantly fighting campaigns against Persia, so um. Uh, these huge armies were also incredibly expensive to maintain, and large taxes, the people were taxed a lot in order to um, keep the armies going. Uh, under the Mughals, so moving on to religion now, under the Mughals, a blending of Hindu and Muslim culture occurred. So there's like a cultural syncretism going on, and this was thanks to Akbar's religious tolerance. In, 15, in the 1500s, though, a new religion was born, and this was because Nanak, an Indian mystique, tries to unite the two religions in the form of Sikh, which is a new religion that rose out of his teachings. Um, Sikh calls for the devotion to one god, a lack of idols, and a less, and a less rigid social system. Um, and this devotion to 
And these beliefs, especially the devotion to one god, um, conflict with the Hindu beliefs. Nanak was the first leader or teacher of the Sikhs. Um, but by the late 1600s, things were not looking good because the Sikhs were militant and they were fierce enemies of the Mughal Empire and Muslims. Um, so Shah Jahan's success was that he put down several rebellions. He built a magnificent new capital at Delhi uh, because he was trying to make it be the most beautiful city in the world in order to reflect his power. And he also conquered new territory in the Deccan. But he was very unsuccessful at trying to regain Mughal home, the Mughal homeland in Central Asia. Uh, Shah, okay, Shah Jahan had a peacock throne, which was very important because it was this really magnificent, splendid throne with the gems um, covering the whole thing. And it was the greatest symbol of Mughal splendor. This made Europeans really admire the Mughal Empire. Uh, another, the other really important emperor to talk about in the Mughal Empire is Aurangzeb. Uh, he is Shah Jahan's son. At first, he was known as Muhi Uddin Muhammad, and he ends up killing his older brother, imprisoning his sick father, Shah Jahan, and he becomes the emperor. Um, he makes himself the emperor, and um, he renames himself Aurangzeb. He's a devout Sunni Muslim. Uh, he dressed very simply. He stopped government spending on buildings and monuments, and he banned celebrations. So he was not really that liked. Um, the Mughal Empire was very like doing pretty well at his rule, but um, but there were widespread revolts and economic problems, which were weakening the empire. Um, Aurangzeb per persecuted all other faiths in the Mo Mughal Empire because he was in he was trying to be in strict observance of Islamic holy laws, and he also restored the hated Hindu tax and destroyed Hindu temples. He was no friend to Muslims of other sects either, so he was very devout as being a Sunni. Um, all right, that's all for these three important empires. Thanks for listening.